welcome to Depollution, the new podcast from SalvageWire. In this podcast, we will be interviewing interesting and inspiring leaders to discuss issues that are facing the vehicle salvage and vehicle recycling industries, along with other leaders who can challenge and inspire the whole industry. In this podcast, we welcome Roger West, Secretary General of the British Vehicle Salvage Federation. The British Vehicle Salvage Federation was set up in July 1998 and its members represent approximately 85% of the vehicle salvage businesses in the United Kingdom. You can find more details at www.bvsf.org.uk. Let's get straight into my interview with Roger. Okay, so a bit of, bit of an introduction into, into Roger West and what you've done in the past, what you're doing now, um, and the BVSF and, and what the BVSF do. Thank you, Doug. Well, I entered the motor trade at a main Ford dealer in Croydon in the very early 1970s, and then effectively became poached by the insurance industry from the body side section of that Ford main dealer mm-hmm. to become a field motor engineer, uh, then became a senior engineer, and finally to an area field manager operating in the southeast of England. Early retirement, stroke redundancy, was taken in 2005, and I was subsequently offered a position at a friend's main Peugeot dealership until it closed. That was in late 2009. I was then offered an interview for the post of Secretary General of the Federation, British Vehicle Salvage Federation, and was fortunate enough to be given the post in February 2010. The BBSF is administered by a Secretary General, supported by an honorary chairman and a management committee, who acts as the voice of the industry in discussions affecting its members and represents their interests on matters which arise of concern to the industry. So as Secretary General of the British Vehicle Salvage Federation, for those that are a little bit unsure, can you educate us about the difference between vehicle salvage and vehicle recycling? Certainly. Uh, Primarily, vehicle salvage is the ability to sell on correctly categorised repairable vehicles that insurers self-insuring companies, or indeed the general public, have chosen not to repair. The vehicles from the general public are in the main, of course, not categorised, so it's up to the salvage buyer to decide whether the vehicle in question is suitable for correct and safe repair for future use on our roads, whereas vehicle recycling is the effective breaking down of vehicles into their component parts for resale and reuse. Okay, so knowing this, the salvage categorisation process, um they, they also sell, sell salvage uh, category B vehicles, brake only. Um, so there's a crossover in, in, within the industry between vehicle salvage and vehicle recycling because some of those vehicles have got to be broken, correct? Absolutely true, yes. Yeah, so, so, so your members um, will do both uh, salvage and recycling? Some of my members will do, yes. Right, okay. So, so there are members out there who are just specialists in salvage yes right Right. yes not that many these days but there are definitely some there yeah okay all right now obviously we're recording this interview at the height of the coronavirus uh pandemic uh but putting that to one side sort of you know looking looking ahead looking sort of you know two five ten fifteen years um what do you believe are the challenges that the vehicle salvage industry is facing and how different do you think that that w- industry will be in the next you know, few years, the next two, five, 10, 15 years? 
Okay, well, ignoring for a moment the changes in vehicle design and build materials, I believe one of the main challenges that the salvage industry will face is electric or hydrogen-fueled vehicles. As so little is known in reality about the safety of these vehicles or indeed the saleability of the power packs in the case of EVs. With regard to your timescale of 5, 10 or 15 years, I don't have a crystal ball and I've not yet quite completed my time machine, so the answer is no, not yet, I don't know. Again, EVs and hydrogen power cells will no doubt be the norm, but these vehicles will have to have a usable range, which, irrespective of claims, they currently haven't. Mm -hmm. I'm still unconvinced that petrol and diesel cars will simply die out as we hit the magic 2035, and it's my belief that if you consider the total pollution aspect from and including manufacture of EVs to internal combustion-powered vehicles and include their subsequent usage, the difference is not the chasm that we are led to believe. Mm -hmm. Another matter, of course, is related industries. What, for example, will happen to the touring caravan industry when you can only tow one with an electric vehicle? No, it's my opinion that the world is not yet ready for EVs. We should be concentrating our efforts on cleaner fuels. Right. Now, you mentioned, uh, you said putting aside, obviously, the, the, you know, the body side of the vehicle and the technology. What about the technology in the vehicles as, in general, such as um, ADAS, uh, such as single-use um, components that we're, we're getting now. What, where do you think the industry is going from that perspective? I, I think there's going to be problems within the industry. There's, there's an awful lot of technology, and unlike perhaps 10 years ago, when, when you could honestly say that the salvage and dismantling industry was very slow-moving, that has now changed. Mm. Um, and the sooner, sooner everybody realises that changes are afoot, and they need to start seeking qualifications on those changes, the easier it will be for them in 5, 10 and 15 years' time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you think that the industry is going to become or, or going to have to become much more professional? And by that, I mean, I mean from a technical perspective. Yes, I do. Yeah. Yes, I mean, gone are the days um, when the, the vehicle dismantler, for example, and I don't mean this rudely, was the jobbing mechanic that was no good at mechanicing. Mm -hmm. He could successfully take a car to pieces. Um, you can see umpteen pictures of the 1950s and 60s of a man standing next to a car with a gas axe. Um, and he could always consider himself a mechanic, which he was not. Mechanic's term is the thing of the past. You are now a technician. Mm -hmm. You are a technician for repairing vehicles, and you should be a technician for, for, for dismantling vehicles. So how do you think that you know, organisations like the BBSF can help the industry become more professional? What, what, what can they do? I, I think the answer is to provide um, places where they can um, take examin examinations and, and gain more qualifications. Um, we're going to, I can see from your list that we're going to talk about qualifications further on, mm. um, but that is the only way. But of course you can take a horse to water, etc. We will come back to our interview with Roger in a moment. Salvage Insight is a new program from Salvage Wire. We are creating a range of intensive management boot camp options for business owners and managers who want to measure current value creation, create compelling customer experiences, market, promote and sell more effectively, improve profitability, manage smarter at every level of the business, Determine the most effective, lightweight, fleet-of-foot management structure with strong value-based performance metrics and create a st strategic vision, mission statement and develop a, 
a, a new time-bound business plan. Salvage Insight will launch with a one-day boot camp on Wednesday the 17th of June. For more details and information, please contact SalvageWire through our website www.salvagewire.com Back to our interview with Roger. Okay, moving to something that's a little bit, um, little bit more, more sort of you know, uh, relevant today. Um, recycled parts in vehicle repair, particularly around sort of the insurance repair of vehicles. Um, here in the UK, we've got a very, very, very low uh, acceptance of those parts right now from the insurance companies. What do, do you think the industry's got to do to achieve much greater acceptance and use of those recycled parts or reclaimed parts or whatever you want to call them in, in vehicle repair? Okay, well, I mean, you've got to understand this subject has been discussed now for well in excess of 20 years. Indeed, when I was working in the insurance industry, we were talking about it. Mm -hmm. um, and in reality, if all insurers were to use recycled or green parts, then progress would be great. But it only needs one insurer to go against the idea, mm -hmm. and then consumers will be fed the information like, well, we as an insurer don't use second-hand parts, that the system would yet again risk failure. Mm -hmm. Consumers have got to realise that if their three-year-old car has a new cosmetic panel, for example, a door mm -hmm. fitted to it, then effectively they are better off. Yeah. So they have been more than indemnified. If their three-year-old vehicle was fitted with an undamaged three-year-old door or wing from a reputable dismantler, then indemnification is complete. There are many, many dismantlers that often recycled or green parts and the business process and indeed cost to ensure only the highest quality parts are used is huge. Mm -hmm. Perhaps the insurers, dare I say it, should say to their clients that they would need to pay betterment on vehicles over three years old having new parts. Just a thought. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, and, uh, and having worked in the insurance industry myself, I know exactly where you're coming from. Um, been that there. would kickstart it, Andy. It really would. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, um, do you think that a, a quality protocol, a quality process on recycled parts uh, would would help and assist this? Do you think that would be something that the insurance companies would 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 welcome and uh, w would use companies doing that quality process over and above anybody else? I believe so. Yes, um, the insurance companies are very financially motivated. They have been since the onset. Mm -hmm. If you can offer the insurer something that won't cause their clients a problem so that they won't complain and it will save them money, they will jump at it. Right, okay. Now, a couple of years ago, uh, the Salvage Code of Practice was updated um, and they, they changed some of the categories to reflect uh, more accurately the damage to the vehicle. Um, you know, does that, do you think that's made any difference to you and your, your business and your members? And if so, where, you know, or how or where has that difference been shown? Okay, well, the new salvage code of practice has to a degree made a positive difference to those that operate it correctly, and I emphasize those that operate it correctly. Mm -hmm. However, there are still many instances of commercial categorization for financial reward being seen. Indeed, the Federation has had to become involved in discussions with insurers to recategorize vehicles to reflect their actual damage rather than what was hoped. Right. The appropriately qualified person system is a good one, and it means that the inspecting engineer not only has to prove competence to categorise, but also has the final say, and effectively the buck, if you like, stops with him or her. Mm -hmm. 
We are still awaiting the system of AQP numbers to be available to ensure that there is an effective audit trail. There is still room for improvement and no doubt in the not too distant future discussion, discussions will again begin. And I'm particularly interested in certain parts within the salvage category um, being permitted to be sold. And can you, can you sort of uh, expand on that? What sort of parts are you looking at? Okay, you'll force me into a corner. I am most unhappy that the dismantling industry is not permitted to sell um, airbags, right. undeployed airbags. Yeah. There is nothing wrong with them as a second-hand mm -hmm. unit. Mm -hmm. um, the only argument we had um, on the salvage code of practice following a discussion with a particular person who represented a particular motor manufacturer, and now I won't mention them, yeah. was that they, in, they alleged that they insisted that airbags were replaced on their vehicles after so many years, um, which was proven to be incorrect. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and, and I must admit, and you know, knowing the the industry around the world as I do, um, there are many countries around the world where, we, you know, uh, non-deployed airbags are allowed to be resold. So, uh, yes, and they well, I mean, they they are. They're a non-movable part. Mm. They are, they're even de either deployed or they're not deployed. Mm -hmm. The Federation have even produced their own airbag tester, which I have. Mm -hmm. um, I can prove whether an airbag will work or won't work. Yeah. Yeah. I've been told so many times that that's not the case. You can only prove that it will go bang. Mm. Well, yes, of course it will go bang. If it doesn't go bang, then the airbag is faulty. <laughs> and if the airbag is faulty, then it will show up on my machine. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ah, yes, yeah, we, we could go on with that. But uh, do you think the insurers, obviously putting the airbags to one side, this, this updated code of practice, do you think the insurers could have done anything different, anything better when they introduced this? Very difficult question to answer, Andy. We, we had lots of toing and fro on the salvage code of practice two years ago. There was lots of arguments, um, and the Federation decided in the end that we would support it because mm -hmm. at that time the airbag issue within it was the only sticking point yeah and we felt that if we could if we could support it on that basis then we could argue the point regarding the salvage code of practice and everything within it from a position of strength rather than a position of weakness mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so so obviously you know, from that can i assume then that apart from the airbag side of it you are reasonably happy with with the code of practice as it stands yes yeah yeah would you like to see, see i'm not happy in? with the way people use it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If, if it was to be used correctly and in the spirit that it was designed then yes yeah. i'm very happy with it yeah. right okay okay and apart from that you know is there anything else you'd like to see changed is or or, or, or does it work i i think currently it works yeah, yeah. um we would need to be very careful how we changed it mm-hmm Mm -hmm. Okay. I, I don't. Uh, I don't think I need to expand on that. No, 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 no. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Now, the industry. Uh, you know, knowing the industry well as as we both do, um, it is very, very family orientated. With you know, lots of generations working under uh, parents and even grandparents. Um, can you give any advice to any young or aspiring leaders looking to advance their career in the in the industry? And potentially, you know, get, attain full ownership and leadership of their family business. What sort of help and advice? I think so. Yes. I mean, 
if a, if a young man or woman came to me and said, what should they do in our industry to make a difference? I would simply say qualifications. Yeah. Whether it was technically competent managers, appropriately qualified persons, Institute of Automotive Assessors, or the Institute of Motor Industry, mm-hmm. you need something to give you weight and confidence to manage people and deal with external companies. If, for an example, and this is the most important bit, you cannot do what you are asking a staff member to do within mm-hmm. your company, then you should not be in the senior position. Mm-hmm. 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 So you look at this as, a, as, a, a, as an ongoing lifetime of learning? Yes. Yeah. yeah. If I, I don't learn something new every day, it's not been a good day. <laughs> can I quote that on the... <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because because yeah, one of the I'll be honest, I'll be honest, Roger. One of the benefits of doing doing this sort of discussion and this sort of uh, of talking is, you know, that I'm also learning as well, and uh, and it's almost it's almost free consultation for me, uh, you know, because because I learn from it just as much as as you know when the listeners hear this that they they'll learn from it. So uh, yeah, yeah, it's 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 great. It's great from from both perspectives, both perspectives. Now, um, what? Is there one one thing that the UK government could do differently that would have a major benefit to the, the members of the BVSF? Is there any one thing that you can think of that, that really needs to be Absolutely. One, one thing for absolute certainty is that they could remove the illegal operators from the industry. This, at a stroke, would be a huge benefit to those operating within the law. Right, right. So, so expand on the on the problems that we've got. You know, expand on the problems in the industry. Uh, you mentioned illegal operators. Well, ba- basically, as far as I can understand it, there are at least as many illegal operators as they are legal operators. Right. Now, on that basis, it doesn't take a fall to say, well, does that mean that the legal operators are losing fifty percent of their revenue? And is it is it just is it just the operators that are losing revenue? I think everyone's affected by it. Mm-hmm. I mean, as a, as a human being, if I'm, if I'm looking for a particular part for an old car and I find someone selling that particular part, I'm probably not going to think to myself, are they a legal operator? Well, mm-hmm. they're selling me a car part. I'll buy it. Mm-hmm. Does that make me an accessory? So, yes, it affects everybody. Right, right. And, and this ultimately also affects the government as well because they're going to lose revenue aren't they absolutely yeah, yeah. yeah. and and of course the the land is suffering mm-hmm. the neighbors to these people are suffering mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. no it, it's absolutely everybody suffers at these people's hands and as yet it seems it's an almost impossible task to shut them down right right certain what government departments are all too willing to go out and inspect companies that are doing it right or mm-hmm. very very nearly right yeah um, but they're not prepared to go out and look at the companies that are doing absolutely everything wrong. So, so what what could we do to to force them into that, in, you know, and actually eradicate these these illegals? What, you know, is 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 there a magic bullet, or is there is it going to take more than that? I, I don't think there's a magic bullet. No, I think we we are we are too soft in this country. Um, I'm of an age where I'm allowed to say that, and I I believe that. Um, a body of people mm-hmm. should have the right to go out to these companies and say, you're doing this, this and this wrong. The doors are now shut and weld them up. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and 
should that be the environment agency or, or, or is that is that a, a collaborative approach in the nicest possible way Andy I don't really care who it is right um, the environment agency don't seem don't seem to be able to do it yeah um, now I'm not suggesting that's entirely their fault it isn't I mean I, I get the I get you know the fact that they're running out of money and they haven't got the funding to do it but that doesn't mean they should go and try and chase down people that are doing it right mm. You know, they've got to justify their existence. They've got to get rid of people that are deliberately doing it wrong. Yeah, yeah. No, that's... Uh, that's uh, to be honest, I completely agree. Completely agree. Completely agree. So what benefit do you think the BVSF brings to the vehicle recycling industry? And why should... Um, or the vehicle salvage industry, I should say. And why should vehicle salvage uh, agents be members of the BVSF? Um... Well, it, this, this question I'm probably asked two or three times a week, and I try and answer it differently each time. Um, I mean, obviously, I would welcome more members into the Federation, mm -hmm. but it's not just the case of inviting anyone. Mm -hmm. We have very strict rules and regulations, and before a company is even offered membership, they go through a strict application process. Yeah. This means that the membership meets a very, very high standard, does the job correctly, and acts in a manner as to be representative of the Federation standard, if nothing else. The Federation brings a quality to the sector that in the past has been very much frowned upon with images of the junkyard dog chasing away officials that visit. I don't think I'm lying when I say 85% of people that apply aren't accepted. Right. Right. So, so what sort of criteria do they need, do they need to fulfil? What's, uh, what's the basic minimum sort of thing? I think, I think for that, me to ask that question, Andy, they would need to come to me uh -huh. and tell me what they do. Right. Right. But obviously they're, they're, they're fully compliant, they're fully legal. Um, Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Yes, there's so, no question about that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But yes, so there's, there's a lot more besides that before anyone gets into the Federation. Yeah. Okay, no, that's fine. That's fine. So, so if any listeners want to get in touch with you and find out more um, about the BVSF, how, how would they do that? Um, they can telephone me. Do you want me to give the number now? That's all right. No, it's fine, because um, you've also got a website, haven't you? Yeah, we have a website, www.bbsf.org.uk or something. I don't know. I'm not very good with computers, as you can imagine. <laughs> but no, they can telephone me. There's two numbers. They can email yeah. me. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't mind. They could send me a carrier pigeon for all yeah. I care. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and all of those details are all on that on the BVSF website. Absolutely. There's even a picture of me, so they know right. who they're talking to. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll make certain also that uh, that when the podcast goes out, that the BBSF website details are included in the in the um, in the description that we uh, that we put out as well. So uh, that will yeah. always always be there for for everybody as well. And really, sort of one final question, and one you know we're asking of everybody on the podcast: What was your first car, and do you have any special memories of that car? And please keep it clean. I don't know. I'd, I'd never do anything nasty. Um, I, I don't really know whether I should admit to this, although it is completely true. My first car was actually when I was 16, not 17. Right. Um, as a member of my family was killed in a motorcycle accident, my father wasn't keen on me having a motorbike. But I discovered, having secretly taken my test on one, that I was allowed in law then to drive a three-wheeler. Ah. I therefore saved for and purchased a Reliant Regal Mark VI 1961 model and the registration number was 49 UKE which would probably be worth a fortune now I was just going to say it was, you, you wish you still had it yeah 
Uh, it was powered by a slightly more modern version of the Austin 7 side valve engine. Mm -hmm. And the one thing I remember about this car was I was driving home from the pub <clears throat> at 16, um, and I met my future wife, Heather, walking home from Sunday school. Yes, she did teach. Yeah. Um, I was out in the Reliant. We've now been married 43 years. Wow, congratulations. I shall say no more. <laughs> That is amazing. What a lovely story. What a lovely way to, to end to end this. So uh, so thank you, Roger, for your time. Thank you for uh, answering the questions. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, and uh, we look forward to uh, you know, this whole coronavirus being being finished and we can get back to, to normality and uh, and actually get back to seeing each other rather than uh, listening on, on, on a podcast or, or on a phone call. So uh, thank you for that time, Roger. Okay. No, it's no problem. This, this, this coronavirus, it's getting a wee bit close now. It's getting close for comfort. Yeah. So uh, it's not very pleasant. My heart goes out to anyone who has lost friends and family. Okay. Well, thank you for that, Roger. Much appreciated. Wow, that was amazing. Thank you. Thank you, Roger, for your time and your expertise. You will find more details of how to contact the BVSF in the show notes. Please don't forget to take the time to like and share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. And give us a rating. Depollution podcasts are released every Tuesday. Thank you.